This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 60 with Michelle Lisenberry Christensen. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Michelle, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you so much for having me here, Sarah. I'm thrilled to be here. I know it's exciting. And I have to tell our listeners, I always like to tell people how I know everyone who comes on the show. So we met originally, you participated in my boot camp here in Seattle with some girlfriends. And then we went through this like spree of seeing each other at Trader Joe's all the time. Yes, exactly. Secret date. Right. But what's so funny... I never knew what you did. Like it just never came up. And especially this happens so often when I have boot camp members where I just I'll connect with them on a certain level and I'll know that they're parents and have X amount of kids or whatever, but I'll just never know what their profession is. So one mm -hmm. of your girlfriends reached out to me and was like, you have to have Michelle on the show. And I was blown away. I was like, no way. I did not know Michelle was a sex and, sex and relationship therapist. This is so <laughs> cool. Yes. So not what people expect, right? Like a sex and relationship coach would be like, what would she wear to boot camp? It would, <laughs> totally. be, it would be like no one else, right? <laughs> right? I'm in stilettos or something. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm no. kind of the girl next door. Oh yeah, my totally. <laughs> totally. So you sent me some information on from your website in preparation for the interview, which was really fun to look through. And you had a fantastic video on your site. And I'm definitely going to make sure I link to the show notes. And what is the name of the video again? The five the intimacy for new parents. I watched the whole thing. And I love that you dispelled some myths about yourself and just exactly like people would think like, oh, she wears her stilettos and like negligee all over town, right? No, <laughs> I live for no. sex. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Afraid. Not the case. Yeah. Not the case at all. So I love that you kind of set the record straight with all that. Let's go ahead and just dive right into how you got into this business because this is so intriguing to me. How you got into the business of sex and relationship coaching. How do your experiences as a mom and a wife and a businesswoman fuel your practice? <laughs> so that's the thing, right? I feel like in our culture, women have been taught to either be good or love sex. You got to choose. If you can do one in private, then you can keep the other one the, the public face. Right. <laughs> but I really want to help women have both. And so it was my personal journey of integrating my own sexuality, a positive relationship with my imperfect human body that hasn't been airbrushed at all, being able to bring that into monogamy. And this long-term relationship, almost 20 years now with the same oh guy. Congratulations. Um, you, thank you. And you, you do have to sort of be on your A game in terms of knowing how you create pleasure through time with a body yeah. that's changing. And I've been through some pregnancies and that whole journey with this body and this one man and now these little people has been a lot for me trying to, I see it as like flame tending. Yeah. You and I and all the women are flame tenders. And if we can tend to that inner flame of our pleasure, 
our femininity, power that creates for everyone around us. You know, I kind of say like, you're the hearth of your home. If you're hot, then you give light and heat and energy to everybody around you. But if you're trying to give to everybody around you first, then your flame kind of flickers, almost goes out entirely. That whole process, I've struggled with all of that. I did that while I was an executive coach. For the same, about the same amount of time as I've known my husband, I was a coach. I have a master's in psychology, coach training specifically, like how to help people stand here and look forward and work toward goals as distinct from therapy, which is about healing. And I love therapy. And sometimes my work is deeply healing for people, but it's not primarily about recovering from the past. It's primarily about building the present and the future. Okay. I was doing that with people in their leadership, in their businesses, but it was like, how did I get into sex and relationship coaching? It was like my secret thrill when a client would be like, I know, I know, we're supposed to talk about my business today, but can we talk about my marriage? And then I would be like, <laughs> And yes, it totally please. comes up. Like it, I've been in multiple business groups where we're supposed to be talking about business and someone's like, I just need to talk about my husband for a minute. <laughs> you can't like separate it. You can't get it off your mind when it's not working. And when it is working, it fuels everything else. So it's the best thing I do as a leadership coach now. So much fun for me every time. Do you feel pressure because of the nature of your work? Do you feel pressure to have like a perfect relationship and like perfect balance of like having sex X amount of times a week or whatever, and like portraying the image that you help other women create? In a way, the image is the problem. Thank we're you. About an image, we're about an experience. Do you want the image of a great marriage right. with amazing sex with the man who's the father of your child? Or do you want the real thing? The image actually. Right. There's, there's like a right answer. Like I'm supposed to not to feel pressure because I really do believe that. Like my stomach actually looks like this. It doesn't look like supposed to some advertising companies. Likewise, my marriage has, I put my backpack down in the kitchen maybe last night. And my husband had enough other little resentments that that (laughs) bugged the daylights out of him. And then he was kind of nasty about it. And I was like, whoa, what's up with that? And we both kind of handled it mediocre. Yeah, that's what happens at my house. Along with a lot of really great practices like wagging is one thing that we do very, very well. And that like point to my marriage and go, see, do it like this. This works. And explain explain that. So wagging is an exercise. And so this is for anybody listening. This is probably the simplest way to make your relationship better right away. Do what a dog would do if your partner came in the door and it was their dog. The dog would like run to the door, drop everything. The dog would not finish what it was doing, right? Right. The dog would not be like, in a second. And the dog would be like, where have you been? I've been thinking about you. Have you been thinking about me? I missed you. I mean, I really missed you. Can I sniff your privates? I really, I mean, I'm so glad you're here. I love you. Do you know I love you? Have I told you that? You know, dogs get stoked, right? Right. When's the last time we got really stoked that our partner was home? Marked that transition like this is the light of my life. It's kind of like fake it till you make it. We don't feel that way because we don't practice feeling that way. Kurt and I have worked really hard at it because it's way easier to just stay on the computer mm-hmm. if that's when he comes home. I really do my best to drop everything, turn to him and really behold him, like look in his eyes and touch his face and kiss him deeply and be like, this is my lover and he just got here. It's funny how when you're similar to the dog situation, when your kids come home from school, you pick your kids up or whatever, and up to a certain age, at least like they run to you and you're so excited. And there's that very similar interaction of like, oh my gosh, hi, honey, how are you? Like I have that with Vinny every day as much as he'll let me have it. But I don't do that with my husband. And that is so eye-opening. Like that is a big deal. I think that, yeah, like when Vinny comes home, I'm like, I will drop anything to ask him about his day and look in his eyes and give him that hug and whatever. When Vince comes home, it's like a, hey, I'm in the middle of three things. Like, hope you had a good day. Let's talk later. Yeah. Glad you're here. Do the dishes. Right. Glad you're here. And could you do some of this stuff for me? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I love that. Okay. So we all all know, you know, Vinny doesn't have another mommy. Right. Right his self-esteem, blah, blah, blah. All these things are riding on how you greet him. We know that. So we do it for our kids. And we think of it like, I'm going to be generous with my child. We sort of forget and we can get confused because our marriages are a two-way street. You have to be just that generous with your partner because if you're not, you're holding them hostage. If your relationship is negotiated to be monogamous, they can't seek that anywhere else. Right. 
That's such a, the two-way street thing is such a good point because I think with your child, you expect to give with nothing in return. And that's just <laughs> the nature of parenting. But in a marriage, you're like, well, he doesn't jump to up and down when I come in the room. So why should I jump up and down when he comes in the room? Yes. <laughs> like we you, get in a race to the bottom. Totally. Absolutely. You do it first. Right, right. Show me what you want. You give it to me and then I'll see about giving it to you. And it's a recipe for disaster. I've learned a lot actually about how to love well from being a mother because it is maybe more natural and there's less baggage and yeah. we need less from our kids or we try to. We know that's a good idea. <laughs> it's less confusing. Yeah, for sure. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. How do you think, has your business evolved with your parenting, your relationship with your husband over time, or does the business kind of fuel your personal relationships as a mom and a wife? Hmm. That's well put. It's both, right? So the okay. business keeps leaping me forward. Okay. I have the exquisite privilege to be let into the intimate worlds, each of the couples and individuals that I work with. So they're teaching me every day. Okay. You, know, you spend this much time talking about relationships and sex, self-awareness and emotional and spiritual growth, it's going to evolve you. It does. I also do give myself tremendous latitude, always have in my coaching. That's why I'm a relationship coach now for the last five years, pretty exclusively. That's all of how I market, at least. You know, People come to me for what they come to me for, which I'm right. glad of also. But I started just marketing that because I could not muster I don't know how profane I can get on here. You can be fairly profane. <laughs> I, I didn't have a fuck to give, you know, right, about right. your latest corporate reorg. I was like, man, I love you, but I don't even want to talk about this. Isn't that <laughs> funny? It, that shifts. It's funny when you, when your business evolves in a certain direction and you're like, I can't go back. I can't be passionate about these other little things because like, I'm, I want to go so deep in this one area. And then you just feel like you're faking it. In the other yeah. Areas. I refuse to fake it yeah. anywhere in any way. Nice. I had a little girl who just like something about giving birth to my daughter. It was like, whoa, bullshit eradicator. Yeah. So it keeps happening and I've uh, just rest into it. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, my business is evolving again. Because I used to have a story that I was a flake. The reason that I kept changing it was because I couldn't make up my mind and I hadn't grown up. And now I realized like, no, I am an evolutionary creature. Yeah. Definitely. I totally agree with that. I went through this career change when I became a personal trainer and I was trying to figure out what do I want to do for the next 40 years? And that was like the hardest question of my life. Like, 
there was nothing I wanted to do for 40 years. I was like, there's like 10 right. things that I want to do for five years each. There's nothing yeah. that I want yeah. to do. Brilliant. And so that I think that, dumb question. <laughs> but when you come from me, my parents both did the same things for their entire profession. My mom was a teacher for 42 years. My dad had the same job for 25 years and then retired and went into contract work doing the same kind of things. When that's what you're modeled, and I think that just so much of my parents' generation, you chose one thing and you did it for your whole life. I can see where the perception can be like when you're jumping from one thing to the other that, oh, this is just so flaky and I can't really find my path and I'm not really getting in the right groove. When in reality, it's like, no, your profession is just evolving as you're evolving. And I think that, I think that's really important. And I think it's really, that's a sign that like you're actually listening to yourself evolve and you're paying attention to your evolution as a wife, a mom, a woman, whatever. And you're taking into account where you actually, where your passions are going in the direction that they're going. And I think that that's a really important thing to model to kids because I know like my parents did not retire happy people. They were, my mom was like, God, I would should have retired 10 years ago. I'm so burnt out. And my dad never really loved his work. I think that's super important that we listen to how we feel about our work and pay attention to that. It will guide us into finding things that we actually, that actually recharge us in all areas of our life. Totally. One other thing I'll add to that is like, especially as we think about this with our children, or I'm facilitating this all the time with clients, you don't want to rock the boat in your marriage, right? This is your home this person and this institute, this agreement that you've created and then real estate that goes behind it or whatever else isn't that conscious. But you choose between the pain and the disruption of asking for a change, of making things different. So you were just talking about business and career. This happens there and it happens in our relationships with our partners and it happens in our relationship with ourselves. Mm -hmm. You're at a crossroads most days or anytime your body and your emotions are telling you, I need something to be different it's going to be uncomfortable to make the change. Step back to step forward. So we avoid that pain and we learn to live with the pain like your mom did of 10 years of being in the wrong place. Right. And we think like, well, I don't know, at least I didn't create upheaval. But like, what did you create? The pain of the awakened life is really what I help people learn to tolerate. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And it's often, it feels easier and sometimes better in the moment to choose the thing that is known and comfortable. But yeah, in the long run, that rarely is the thing that satisfies us long term. Yeah, it, yeah it's not satisfying. Our bodies get louder and louder and louder. Yeah. The symptoms, wherever they may be, keep trying to get our attention. Right. Yeah. What are some of the emotional and physical changes that happen after we have kids that impact me? I'm just going to make a blanket statement here that I think <laughs> all of our marriages are impacted by kids. And Hugely. So based right? on that, what are the things that happen that Im I thought that it would be like, there would be this disruption of the newborn and then it would just like, mm -hmm. things would get back to normal. Yeah. It's totally different than that. So tell yeah. us a little bit about that. There's no back, is there? Right. right? No. Like you are a different person. <laughs> right. Let's start with the really obvious almost superficial ones, although they're totally not. Your hormonal changes, you start noticing that in pregnancy, right? right. And, and for a lot of women, there's a, a libido spike, yeah. especially in the second trimester when you're not quite as tired as you are in the first and often in the third. Right. So you might have some righteous sex when you're pregnant, depending yeah. on how your husband feels about that. But then after the baby, there are a number of reasons why women's libidos change. So hormones, sleep deprivation, then all of the touch that you're getting and giving with a baby is actually meeting your needs for touch. There's a way that it's not so much that you want less to be touched. Most women are not even aware of this until I teach them this. Like baby is giving you all that oxytocin, all of that yummy experience of being loved on in a physical way. Right. And so you're just kind of satisfied. Right. Frequently in our culture, dads don't get as much touch from a child right. as moms do. And so they're still craving it, you know, especially for chronologically at the end of the day, you've got somebody who's had enough touch and somebody who hasn't. And so it looks like rejection to the person who hasn't gotten enough touch. It looks like really seriously, you're demanding this of me given everything <laughs> else I'm giving out. Totally. <laughs> That's ouchy. So that there's physical change becomes an emotional change. Clearly, a child coming in changes the dynamic between the two of you. This is somebody who needs, baby needs things constantly. And even my kids are four and eight now. And basically, my reward for meeting their last need is that they give me their next one. You know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> the hits just keep coming. <laughs> That's wonderful. There's so many more things to love about my husband now. You know, as we parent together, I just get to see more things I admire and appreciate. To see him with them is just makes my heart swell. There's so many demands on our time and energy. Making space for our marriage is a completely different ballgame than it was before. One 
before the second child and before the first. If people aren't prepared for that, and like you said, I just thought it would go back to normal. There's no back at all. Like, you know, life is completely different. And then your body has changed. And so what a lot of new moms tell me is like, either they don't feel desire anymore, which is one thing, or they don't feel it during the period they're talking to me about it. But they tend to say anymore, like it's going to be permanent. In right. the computer. And it doesn't tend to be. It's definitely changed. So desire is sort of that interest in sex in the abstract. And then turn on, like interest in sex right now with the person who's here, there's like emotional, am I feeling warmly enough toward you to want to have sex with you or to want to turn toward your desire to have sex with me? Sometimes that there's friction because of the co-parenting or lack thereof or the different ways that people perceive what's happening in their relationship and in their partner's relationship with their kids. Yeah. And it's hard for that to not carry over. If there's a feelings or discrepancy in parenting or whatever, like it's hard to like cut that off at bedtime, like when the kid goes to bed and then be like, now we're going to switch over and be married. Like instead of being in the parent role, now we're going to be in the married role. And if you're annoyed with the parent situation, it's real hard to turn on the marriage situation. Right. I don't even want to be in the marriage situation with you. Right, right. So I've read that the happiest time in a couple's marriage, this read this in um, Brain Rules for Baby. Mm-hmm. which had a lot of interest, really interesting research on happiness and marriage and, and relationships. Yeah, you could interview him. Right. I know I should. So I've read that the happiest time in a couple's marriage is in the third trimester, the birth of their first child. And I read the book during that time. So I was like, oh my God, like this is as good as it ever gets. Oh. <laughs> which was, which, it was like marriage was good. Life was good and everything. But I was like, it never gets better. <laughs> right. So this is the end. enjoy it now. Right. This right. That's then, very fatalistic. That's I know. <laughs> and then after the birth of a child, there's a significant decrease in marital bliss. And this is like research proven that it's just, I mean, for many reasons, do you agree with this? And what suggestions do you have to prepare for this time and life after children? Yeah. Well, I think one of them has been implicit in some of the things I've said so far. Like, don't expect to go back. Right. Don't hold what it felt like to be with your partner before you got pregnant as your yardstick that your life has to get back to at some point, because it won't. It will be a different thing entirely. No need to compare it at all. That said, there are things that we desire out of relationship. And I think what, how my perspective differs from a lot of what I see from other like marriage experts or sex experts is that you have a right to what you're hungry for. And I really believe that our desires are marching orders from the divine written on our hearts. Like, here's what I want you to go do. I want you to go in this direction. As an example, in a relationship, like a lot of women will tell me, I really want to feel seen. I really want to feel like my partner, whether it's a husband or a female partner, I want to feel like my beloved really sees me as a desirable, unique, important to them creature. And I want to be seen as sexual and wanted in that way. And I also want to be respected for my intelligence and my ability to work hard and make things happen. We want all of it. We want to be appreciated in our feminine and masculine, really be held. A lot of people aren't getting that in their relationships because their partners haven't been shown how to do that. They haven't seen that in another relationship. It's almost like like in peanuts, you know how the parents talk, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I just see me and behold me. And, and what your partner hears is like, wah, 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 wah. I see your mouth moving. Right. That's an example of where I really encourage people not to be like this incessant fountain of demands, mm-hmm. but to trust their own desire. That's one of the things that I feel like is helpful. Preparation for becoming parents, a crucial ingredient. Once you are parents and you've put that, that challenge on your relationship, that is a beacon. In a way, that's what we were talking about when we talked about urge to make a shift in your career in some way, mm-hmm. that inner guidance, right? If that people keep sense. listening to that, they'll get guided in what course corrections, corrections to make. But that was a little bit of a sidebar. Do I or don't I agree? Like, I know that if what you've wanted was a child, I know you worked really hard to get pregnant with women. <laughs> Statements were made. Right. I didn't have the easiest time conceiving Cooper, hot tub, whole other story. Um, <laughs> I know that a pregnancy hard one is definitely a profound satisfaction and in a way a relief. Like, yes. okay, dreams of parenthood are seem to be becoming realized, right? Yeah. So that relief, and I remember Kurt being like, I'm just going to stick a fork in you because you are set. I've never seen you so content how I was uh-huh. in the second trimester of my first pregnancy. Absolutely. It was like, I'm home. Yeah. And we just finished our remodel and it was like, I don't want anything else. I have this guy and I have this little guy in me. and It's blissy. The hormones 
I mean, in a way, I feel like pregnancy is like nine months of the Band-Aid being ripped off. You know, the same, (laughs) like, like menstrual blood is like truth serum. But if you've been like, oh, no, I'm fine all month, then there's a day when you're like, it is not fucking fine. Right. (laughs) Which is good, right? It's like a forest fire. Pregnancy is that for nine months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) There is also this kind of contentment Buddha mama thing in another way. I think that's part of why. Mama happy, everybody happy in the second trimester. I think that's a peak to date. Okay. And certainly our culture has taught us that's the pinnacle of a woman's experience. Do I agree with that? No. Does it mean that that cultural conditioning, I think, affects most women? You wanted a child and now you're pregnant. And then your partner's like, good, I'm glad you're so happy. (laughs) And in their own ways, to greater and lesser extents. Do you find that like in your marriage and in other people's, like, was Vince really aware that there was a baby coming in the same way you That's were? That's such a funny question. And I think both times when we were trying to get pregnant and everything, I we would like tr- be planning things. And like when I was pregnant with Vinny, we got invited on like some wine tasting trip. And I was like, we're not, obviously we're not going. Like that's like my favorite thing in the world to do and I'm pregnant. So obviously I'm not going. And he was like, I just don't think you should put your life on hold while you're pregnant. We got the (laughs) biggest argument about it. And I was like, would you go wine tasting and not taste the wine? And he just didn't get like, he was not that he was very excited, but he was also, I just think because he wasn't experiencing it himself, he was disconnected from what it was like to be the pregnant person. And so then when we were trying the second time, it was a lot of the same things where I was saying, well, if we get pregnant, like I want to always came down to these scheduling things where I'd be like, well, I don't know about this trip or this event because if I'm pregnant, blah, blah, blah. And he again would be like, I don't want to put my life on hold or we shouldn't put our lives on hold. And for me, I was like, dude, <laughs> this is I'm not reality. repelling. <laughs> right. There's things that I'm not going to do if I'm feeling horrible, if I'm barfing all day, like I'm not going to go to a rock show at eight o'clock at night because I'm going to bed at seven o'clock. <laughs> so yeah. it's things like that. And I just think when you're the person, there's very different. The person who's not in it, I get it. Like they're just disconnected. I understand why, but it's frustrating mm-hmm. when you're the person in it and you're having to like set limits on fun. And yeah, those kinds definitely. Of <laughs> definitely. <laughs> By that same token, that's why I don't think male partners or the non-pregnant partner have the same level of like, oh, everything right. is in place. Right. So they, right. they don't get all of the life-changing, oh, I can't do this and I can't do that, but they also don't get all the right. all the satisfaction. But yeah. at any rate, I also believe it tends to be that feminine satisfaction, and I say feminine, not just female, the more yin partner satisfaction, because that is the person who's desire for emotional intimacy tends to lead the relationships or sort of set the temperature of how emotionally intimate the relationship either will be or will be asked to be. That person's satisfaction leads the couple's satisfaction. I think that peaks in the second trimester. I also, it was John Gottman's research that probably, I'm guessing, that John Medina was quoting about after the birth. What Gottman's research says is, I think it's at the 14-month mark tends to be after the first baby is born and it's mama's satisfaction with the relationship dips or she becomes aware of it or she starts complaining about it more loudly. And I think that a lot of moms listening can relate to that. Like, well, I'm not thrilled about the level of participation in this or the demands that I also be this given all the else that I'm doing or mamas have complaints and they either are saying those out loud or they're not, whatever it is, the changes settle in by about 14 months. Oh, that's and I mean, so also- interesting. I had that. Vinny was like, it was a little later, but right around the time Vinny was like almost one and a half. I remember mm-hmm. feeling like, I think I'm like kind of becoming my old self again. Like I feel like I can laugh more easily. I just feel more like not on edge all the time. Like maybe I'm eventually going to be some form of my former self that is yeah. actually enjoyable to be around. And I remember thinking like, I can't believe this took almost a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so, not like me, right? Right. No, that oh, that's so funny that the, I did not know about that research, but that totally lines up with my timeline. Mm-hmm. When peaks, we're at a crossroads, we're at a choice point. Do we double down and do the work to write a satisfying relationship for both of us, given the new terms? Or do we try to figure out how to cope? Or do we start blaming each other and start down the road of changing the relationship so we're not together anymore? I'm astonished by how many parents of preschoolers, toddlers, I know who have gotten divorced here in Seattle in that period. Or I mean, in Drew Barrymore, (laughs) I had a big rant when Drew Barrymore got divorced. I was like, sweetheart, there's quotes in People Magazine, like that's a really reliable resource for (laughs) teens. 
going on with Drew Barrymore, right? But I pretended it was. And <laughs> a source close to Drew had said they've worked for a really long time on, and I was like, wait, no, no, you have a, like a fifth, they have like a 15 month old. I was like, right. you worked for a really long time, like while you were giving birth, or when was that? Right, right. <laughs> like, y'all are in the middle of the shit show. Right. Just stick it out for now. The problem is not the two of you, and we're going to get to this. This is actually the, the number one key, and I'll just spoil the surprise. Sure. <laughs> the number one key intimacy for new parents is remember who the enemy is. And this came out of yes. a joke curtain I had. It's like Drew and whatever her husband's name was, she's not the enemy. He's not the enemy. They're the enemy. Right. <laughs> the kids are the enemy. Totally. <laughs> we would whisper to each other, you're not the enemy. They're the enemy. That's... Because it can really look like they're the enemy, right? Your partner. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I had a conversation with a girlfriend about that and about we were talking, she was, we were having, just talking about divorce and I don't remember why the school age thing came up, but she was saying like people shouldn't be allowed to get divorced until their kids are in school because it's just constant transition until everything is from newborn land to toddler land to preschool land. And she's like, just everything is constantly changing and you can't figure out like, is the reason for your dissatisfaction because of one of those phases or is it because you're truly dissatisfied with your partner? Yes. And you're burning up all your resilience dealing with this person whose brain is not mature enough to be reasonable. And I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm talking <laughs> about the child. Right, right. You get confusing. It can, definitely. Yeah. You right. have to be super reasonable with the kid. You just don't have it. Yes, you're transgressing. No, you're not fun to be married to. Agreed. Right. I love that. Like, can we just wait until everybody's in first grade? <laughs> right. Okay. Then we'll talk. So I know you have a lot of really good pointers for couples about what they need to do more of or less of to preserve marriages while have, they have young children. Can you give us some of the most important things we need to know about that? Yeah. So one of those is that, remember who the enemy is? Yes. Like wrapped in there, you get a little glimpse of like our sense of humor, a little on the dark side. Right. I will sometimes like mouth to him or some of my girlfriends know like, I'm going to eat her. <laughs> my cannibalism fantasy is a part of what makes me a good mother. Right. Right. I never act on it. But be that's because I have permission to really indulge in the fantasy. Poster. <laughs> Remembering who the enemy is means maintaining your sense of humor. Like just really recognizing, you know, I think the fallacy of logic, the last thing, like if you were overspending, mm -hmm. then the last dollar you spent might look like the poor choice. Right. It was your rent, maybe even. Right. <laughs> I can't afford this apartment. No, honey, you can afford the apartment. What you can't afford is all the other things you spend money on. Our partner is the one who's there with the dregs of our energy. Yep. You will almost always look like they're more responsible for our suffering than they are. Yeah. Just remembering that this chapter is hard. That's one of them. And the second one is become resentment ninjas. You hear in the word resend. These are the thoughts that get resent through our minds. I resent this. I resent mm -hmm. this. The things that are playing over and over. It's like you, it was a misstep, but you can't let it go. If you and I were playing Foursquare, we might like bump into each other, the on each other's toes or whatever. We wouldn't even remember it the next day. Right. But if we were doing something a little more intimate, talking about something together and I was feeling, or like, parenting, you know, running around together, <laughs> even as girlfriends, with yeah. our kids. Around. if something happened with one of my kids that I felt really defensive about, you made a joke, nothing to you. I might, that might stick with me, mm -hmm. right? Just because I had baggage around it, <laughs> that had nothing to do with you. And that's what happens with couples. So that we're resending that idea over and over and over. And then it's going to color the next reaction and the next. Totally. So <laughs> you got to clean that up or it's, gets really heavy. I talk more about that in the video. And so you can get the video and the audio and there's a little playbook. So it's kind of like, I and mean, people have told me like, you could charge 300 bucks for this seminar. This is amazing. Oh, it's totally like a little class. It's really great. We'll Enjoy make that. Sure, yeah. And we'll make sure to link to that. It's the five keys to intimacy for new parents is the name of the talk. And then we'll, I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes over at shamelessmom.com for episode 60. So everyone can find that there. Perfect. Yes. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. 
My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. The next one that I recommend in there, just get on the same page with your parenting. So we talked a little bit about that. If it wasn't fun being co-parents together, then when you go to shift gears, like, let's just be married now, some part of you doesn't want to. It's hard to respect your partner, and it's hard to feel really safe and supported. That can often become an impediment to our sexual desire. Yeah. Doing the work that it takes. Honestly, being sort of intentional, philosophical, deliberate about parenting is not something that most male parents were trained to do. Unless your dad was extraordinary, you think that parenting should just happen automatically. You think you should know how to do it. You think you shouldn't have to have conversations about it with your wife when you're not even with your dang kids. All of those have to be overcome to be able to get on the stage. And I think that fatherhood looked a lot different 40 years ago. I think that that is a big thing that I think dads have more intimate relationships with their children now, but that's not what was modeled to them. So that's a really good point that there's a lot of learning education that needs to take place there. It's hard, I find, because I, well, I've worked with children in multiple capacities, but then also just because like more naturally probably nurturing just from what I was modeled through the way my mom parented, it's hard to not just be like bossy and demanding mm-hmm. when, it, when you're trying to help your partner parent. Yeah. Yeah. Even when they're trying really hard and you're like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> so. Yeah. The mama wants to kind of manage right. the dad, right? right. Cause she's yes. got a much bigger, it's like her manual on parenting is bigger. That's one of the things about preparing that I didn't mention. That's a big deal. And it was, it came for us out of some Gottman training we did when I was pregnant with Cooper. And I'm so grateful. I recognized that I was going to go down that road where what I wanted was a partner in parenting, but what I was going to be was the boss. (laughs) Like, like, And and I just learned that. So how I teach it to women is like, if you want a partner, don't be a dictator because then all you can have is a minion. Right. So if you don't want him to act like a dumbass and not be able to make decisions without you and not be able to be creative and engaged, then don't treat him that way. Right. And that can be hard, especially at the end of a long day. (laughs) Plus, he doesn't do things right. 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 (laughs) He doesn't do things the way that you're going to do them. Right. So yeah, to have full help, you have to accept influence. (laughs) And that's challenging. And so that's working through the essential pain of that of like, oh, wow. They really will show up dressed in a way I would never, ever, ever have dressed them. Okay. <laughs> that I can live with because I have a partner. Right, <laughs> I'd rather right. have that than the right outfit. No, no you're, so, you're so right. <laughs> leads to better sex. It really would. Intuitively, your listeners can get that too. It does. Oh, yeah. 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 Prioritizing time alone together. I know that's like laughable, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure. Sure. We'll get right on that. When I say prioritizing, I don't mean at that good idea level, like, oh yeah, we should really get some time alone together. I mean, you rearrange the budget for it. I love this part of the video I thought was so great. Yeah. Talk about that more because I love the way you delved into that. It's, I haven't watched the video in a while. <laughs> well, it was just, it was the <laughs> idea of budgeting for it and the different ways you can budget. Like it doesn't have to be a financial hmm. commitment. You talked That's about right. like trading versus babysitters versus family members. Yeah. Because I think that often we think like, oh, I have to get a babysitter every week. Like that's that's an extra anywhere from like 40 to 100 bucks per night. It puts a big dent in date night. <laughs> that better be a pretty freaking good movie, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yes, we do pay. We found having kids actually asleep, the house actually clean when we got home was worth quite a lot to us. Yes. And so we rearranged <laughs> priorities to pay a professional sitter and so that we could like go out on a weeknight and they could actually go to bed so that they could go to school and that, that sort of thing was helpful. Parking is bad on the weekends. There's, yeah. So in the video, I try to help 
families like get really resourceful about how to get that time together. The other thing that I'll say is like here that I might not have said there, it becomes more and more clear to me is that we know how much we give up by having kids, like where and when you can work out your options for, this is also laugh out loud, funny reading for instance, <laughs> how long a thing can you read? Right. We all have time for reading every day, right? Yeah. A couple chapters. <laughs> That's reading along. You've given up so much then to think about pairing even what you are able to do down so that you have actual time for date night on a regular basis. Sounds daunting. But when I help couples really wrap their mind around it, they can make that evening space. And what it turns into is that most people have been thinking of Their time alone is the time when they really replenish. And we don't think of being with our partner as a real source of energy rejuvenation, Right. sadly. You know, we just like kind of get away from that because we've been living such a transactional kind of business partner kind of relationship. So we really think of it as a vacation we take together once a week. Oh, I love that. That's a great perspective. Like we're off duty. I love you. We're sneaking away together. He's my lover. It's like not super illicit, clearly, (laughs) but... Usually involves a restaurant in Ballard, but um, it like we let it feel like naughty and indulgent and right. totally relaxing, and that's why we both look forward to it and we show up and it's a real meaningful thing. And is yours so just a logistical so, question? Do you have that scheduled for the same night with like the same sitter? So it's just a super routine yeah. thing, or is it something that you like every week you have to figure it out? No, because if you have to figure it out every week, you won't. Right? Yes. Right. Okay. That's Don't what I was. I was teach people this about workouts. Yes. Like, like you can. Hope to doesn't happen. It needs to be a brainless thing that like it's just built in and it's It's not not. unnegotiable. Other tip I'll give there is if you want to date your partner and you're not now and you are more invested in it right now than your partner is, do not wait for them to get just as invested. Just make it happen. Let that go. Don't resent that. Just be like, this is a gift I'm giving us. I'm going to take one for the team. I'm going to make it happen and do the trans. I'm trying to remember uh, someone I was talking to or a book, I was reading something and I keep thinking of this as we're talking. Someone was talking about like mirroring in relationship. Like if you decide like your whole, the idea of when your partner comes through the door, you jump up and give them a big hug and a kiss and like really give them undivided attention. That when you start doing things like that, like they will mirror, they not necessarily do the exact same thing back, but they'll see like, oh, well she did this. So now I'm going to try to do this. And so it becomes this reciprocal thing. And so I think often we just hold out because we're like, well, he didn't do whatever. So I'm not going to do anything. Opposite is true also. And I think that that's such a perfect point with like, instead of waiting for him to take the reins on scheduling date night, you just make that your thing. Out of that, more things will follow. And he'll see that like, well, you took this. I've actually just the other day was coming home from a trip and feeling like my family felt a little neglected. And I texted Vince on the way home and said, like, these are three goals I have for us in the next month or something. And I could tell he was totally blown away. And then he like the next week sent me a text that was like, Hey, let's do this thing. I can't remember. It was this like spontaneous spur of the moment thing, not super like us to do. And I was like, Oh, Mm -hmm. I bet. And I don't know if it was conscious or not because I didn't even get around to asking him. But my thought was like, Oh, this is how it works. Like I decided to send this text to say, I'm really thinking about us and focusing on us, even though I'm out of town and I've been, been gone for four days. A few days later, he had kind of that same thing where he made it clear that he was thinking about me in an unlikely time, putting effort into our relationship too. And so I think that really happened, that mirroring can really happen, but it takes someone being like, I'm going to take the first step and I'm going to play the game. And the other brilliant thing that you just demonstrated that kind of brings it full circle and makes it work is you then look for where you are getting what you would desire. You don't look for where you're not. So you just did it, no strings attached. Right. And then when you saw something coming toward you that inspired you, you ascribed it to Vince's being just as invested and present, engaged as you are. Right. That's how you win. (laughs) Because the mistake we often make is you do the unilateral, okay, I'll put chips on the table. You squint (laughs) and you're watching them like a hawk. Like, when are you going to reciprocate, Pally? Where's your auntie? Then they feel scrutinized. And then they're like, holding their chips closer. We have to look for the win and stay as positive as we can, not like wait and hope and cross our fingers, be explicit and gentle in asking for what we'd like. Definitely. Definitely. That was great. And do we get all five of the keys there? The very last one is just remove any obstacle, any romantic obstacle you can. The, uh, the metaphor that I use with new parents, I mean, these, obviously all of these work, no matter how old your kids are, or even whether you have them, except for the 
the parenting one you do need kids for, I think. Um, <laughs> the romantic obstacles. I think of it like we all have hoops that sex has to jump through to get to us. Mm-hmm. Just some of us have more than others. So if you have to be like physically clean, we both have to have taken showers very recently before I want to have sex. I have to be in a good mood and I have to feel good physically and I have to be happy with you. And like that turns sex into this like five-star gourmet <laughs> meal that you never freaking have time to cook. Right. Right. That will reduce the amount of sex you have. Sex is this amazing like luxury desire. So if you haven't eaten in a while, that's a survival level desire. We evolved to like need it anyway. Sex is something where, gosh, if there's too much stress in an environment, it's pretty adaptive to not have sex. We shouldn't have another baby right now. (laughs) So we forget we wanted sex. Desire goes away when you're not having sex. Let's make sure we're having sex the same way. If you got home like tonight, various things happened. You didn't get home to like eight and you hadn't eaten and you'd be voracious. What would you eat? You wouldn't make something complicated. But Sarah, what would you find that you know is like in your cabinet or fridge? I would find probably something, well, my probably like scrambled eggs and like throwing some meat or vegetables. Like Beautiful. That could be done in three yeah. minutes. Yes. Scrambled egg sex is what we call it. Yeah, right? right. Get it? Yeah, so, that like, makes so much sense. Scrambled egg sex is where if Vince like just even barely looks like he might have was that facial expression a little bit of mm-hmm, okay. You're in. You're like, let's right. do this. I may not be awake at the end, but you just you bring it. Right. Okay. <laughs> I might not be clean. I might not be awake. <laughs> We're doing this though. It doesn't have to be the best sex right. ever. I will not be I will not put a review on Yelp tomorrow. Right. Like, but we're going to do it as grist for the mill. Letting your standards be soft, knowing that sex is good. <laughs> All sex is good sex. If you can find the desire, you know, so I'm not saying have people are just like, you want me to have sex when I don't want it? Like, no, just like really beg the question, like, how do you know you don't want it? Or might your threshold be really high? I'll give you a little quick trick. Do we have time for this? We're yeah, getting go right close, ahead. right? If I'm not there, Kurt is, I'll just like give him my back. I'll just roll away. <laughs> and he knows then that I'm not saying leave me alone. I'm saying like, kiss my back. You know, so there's ways in for all of us where we can go from like, yeah, I would be interested in wanting sex, but I don't right now (laughs) to I do what your kind of on-ramps are. Right. The way to open the door. Yeah. And teach them to your partner. And then if you're both just sort of patient with that, then it doesn't fit the hand sliding up your thigh can feel like an invasion. Right. If you're not in the mood. So it's not that, right? It's this thing of like, oh, this would feel good even if I didn't want sex. But you know that it leads you there. So right. so use that. So okay. there's lots more, but obviously okay. I could That's talk all day. Great. No, this That's is so oh, this is so great. This is so fun. So tell me how you are a shameless wife and mom. Oh man. I feel like people think there's <laughs> we I feel like we already know so many things or suspect so many ways, but I want to hear how you would put it into um, words. I feel like I love the the ampersand as a sign. It's always about and for me. Like I'm wholesome and sexy. I am sacred and I'm profane, deeply nurturing, and I'm also fierce. Okay. I just feel like my generosity and my relentlessly demanding nature, (laughs) I'm shameless, like all of that together. And I love that you ask that and that you've put shameless around it because I do think shame is a way that patriarchy controls women. Yes. So if we can shake that off, and I think we have to do it every single day. Mm -hmm. If we can shake that off, we are doing what our kids need us to do and we're doing what our culture needs us to do because when women are caged, then the whole culture is held back. Yes, definitely. Totally agree. Describe the legacy you're building and how does being shameless play into your legacy? Whoops. I think I just did. (laughs) (laughs) I really think of my legacy as being like about helping women and men integrate masculine and feminine power. Definitely wholesome sexual energy, taking sexuality out of the... I couldn't get... There was some... Oh, my like auto pay, auto deductions so that my paycheck goes straight into my personal account. I couldn't get that because the the company that did it found my business to be like too far in the blue, you know? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I was like, really? So that stuff, the puritanical stuff that puts sex in the murky realm. Right. That's a part of my legacy is just bringing wholesome sexuality back where it belongs. Right. Well, and I think our lives and our parenting and our work and everything. Yeah. And I think it's really, I think that's your work is significant. And I want to acknowledge that because I think that someone's maybe first reaction or instinct of what you do would be like, people might shy away or be like, Oh, I don't, I don't need that. And is this going to be just crazy over the top, like inappropriate Mm -hmm. or whatever? And it's not, it's like a very fundamental 
foundational thing that every relationship needs is like this level of awareness around the relationship and around the sexual, the sexual components of the relationship. Yeah. Um, and on your own terms, not right, right. by some yards, you know, like the cosmopolitan magazine makes sex performative, right? Yeah. Your desire and your pleasure and everything is like this mark. There's a yardstick outside of you. It's not at all what I believe it is. Like each of us has healthy sexuality, but if it's not being expressed our own unique way, we can't be full, fully right. alive. In terms. Right. So, Michelle, tell us where we can find you and connect with you online. I am at lizenberry.com, L-I-S-E-N-B-U-R-Y, but I think you're going to... Yeah, and I will, link to, that. Yeah. I will link to everything in the show notes over yeah. at shamelessmom.com for episode and 60. I'm also a, a shameless avoider of social media. <laughs> a lot of what's there is like programmed and put there by other people on my behalf. People can certainly find me in those places. I do some local speaking when I have bandwidth for it. Nice. People can always email me questions through my website. Cool. So. Do you work with people like in an office setting or do you work with people over Skype? How do yeah. you work with people? All of that. So okay. some people come here to my home office. If people are local, I love to meet them, whether they come here or I come to them or something at least once in a while and at least early on. I have clients all over the world. So I've spoken okay. with people today in Puerto Rico and the UK and Australia. So cool. I love that. So that means that we are not limited at all by geography here. So if any of you want to reach out to Michelle, please feel free to do that. Connect with her. And like I said, I'll have everything linked up over at shamelessmom.com for episode 60. Thank you so much, Michelle, for taking the time to be with us today. I feel like you really opened my eyes to some important information. And I know that you're definitely going to help a lot of our listeners. So I really appreciate that. So glad. Thank you, Sarah. Okay. Well, Namaste, everybody. Oh, thank you. And next time you have something exciting to share with moms, let me know so we can get you back on here and talk some more. Because oh, I yeah. have a feeling I'm going to get some follow up questions about this and some follow up information that people want. We could have a whole other conversation. So. Yeah, we could do a Q&A call. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so fun. Okay, yeah. I'm going I'm to keep that on the, in the back of my mind here. All right. Well, have a great day, Michelle, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you so much for listening today. If this episode was helpful to you or you think would be helpful or inspirational to someone else, please do share it. You can get the link for this episode over at shamelessmom.com. Look for the episode 60 tab. And then in addition to that, you can find this episode on our social media channels over at Facebook and Instagram at the Shameless Mom Academy. And you can share from those channels as well. Thank you for your love and your support and your reviews. If you love this episode, please do leave us a five-star review over on iTunes. You can go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review to leave a review for us. And you can also subscribe while you're over there. So if this is your first time joining us, we know that we do release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. And if you subscribe, then you get those episodes as soon as they're released. So if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review, you can go ahead and hit that little subscribe button. You can also leave a review at the same place, get two things done at one time, and then you'll get our new episodes as soon as they are released. So thank you for listening. Have a fantastic day. And today, especially after talking about relationships and sex, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.